Setting coordinates. Outlaw located. Hi, I'm Ryan McCarthy, and welcome to The Stolen Goods. This podcast is all about outlaws, bandits, and scourges of the seven seas. Every week, we're going to take a look at a different one of these characters and learn about them. We'll shine the spotlight on some of the most infamous bandits, outlaws, and pirates in history, and even dig deeper to learn about some that maybe you haven't heard of before. I am not a historian, nor do I claim to be an expert on the topic. I'm just a guy who thinks this type of stuff is rad and wants to learn more about it. So grab your bow and arrow, six-shooter, and bag of and join me as we walk the plank and plunge into the lawless world of banditry and swashbucklery. Is that a word? Together. All right. And welcome to The Stolen Goods. My name is Ryan McCarthy. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, it is a brisk 32 degrees here in Connecticut right now. I'm recording this on Saturday. Um and uh, I hope wherever you're at, it is much nicer. I mean, it's supposed to be like 19 degrees right now, so I shouldn't be complaining. Uh, and uh, I hope that wherever you're at, you're you're um, getting back to normal after the holiday season. We're in mid-January now, so things are kind of leveling out, and you've gotten all of your um, uh, returns done and gotten back to normal and you're back to work and blah 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 and whatever else and uh whatever the case may be the stolen goods is just chugging along and uh i'm happy that we're in 2023 and and you know we're just gonna keep on moving along uh but today uh we are talking about a 17th century uh rather um charismatic playboy of a of a bandit it was a highwayman, and I love this guy. These are the these are my favorite types of outlaws, the ones that are just dripping with charisma, and and you love them even though you hate them. Um, so this guy, a man named Claude Duval, um, I thought it was Duval, like Robert Duval, or maybe it's Robert Duval. I don't really know, um, but I had to look it up, and it's Claude Duval. So um, what do you say we jump into the time machine? We get out of here. We go back to the 1600s and check him out right now. So here we are in the town of Domfranc in Normandy, France in 1643. And unfortunately, that's as zoomed in as we can get. We don't know on what day Duval was born, but we do know that his father Pierre was a miller and his mother Marguerite was the daughter of a tailor and he had a brother named Daniel, and Claude was born into a noble household that had unfortunately fallen on tough times and had basically been stripped of their status. In fact, the town that he grew up in, Domfranc, which I hope I'm saying that right, wasn't known for being a place that cranked out straight arrows. In fact, the same Captain Charles Johnson possibly a pseudonym for Daniel Defoe, who wrote a general history of the robberies and murders of the most notorious pirates in 1774, wrote in his 1734 book, The Lives and Actions of the Most Noted Highwaymen, he wrote that Domfranc, quote, was a place by no means unlikely to have produced our adventurer. Indeed, it appears that common honesty was a most uncommon ingredient in the moral economy of the place, end quote. So it would appear that the writing may have been on the wall from day one for our outlaw in question to turn to a life of crime. 
And I think I may have said Willem Dafoe in one of my previous podcasts. Sadly, the Academy Award nominee for Best Supporting Actor in Platoon did not go back in time to write those books. I know, that would have been rad. Anyway, we don't know much about his childhood, but let's take a look at what was happening in the world at the time. So even though DeVale grew up in France, one of the most influential things to happen in his lifetime was the execution in 1649 of King Charles I of England. Civil war had broken out in England between the wealthy royalists, also known as cavaliers, who were loyal to the king, and the parliamentarians, aka roundheads, who claimed that the king's power was too absolute. It was an extension of the War of the Three Kingdoms, which included England, Scotland, and Ireland, which had all been united under King Charles I's rule, but all wanted to be ruled differently. So once King Charles I was killed, his son Charles II was exiled to France, placing control of the three kingdoms in the hands of the Council of State until 1653, when Oliver Cromwell took over control of England, officially ending the monarchy and starting the Commonwealth of England, Scotland, and Ireland. During the time of the Commonwealth, in 1656, when de Vale was 13, he got himself a job as a stable boy for a rich family in Rouen and had fallen in with some rich cavaliers who were traveling with the exiled Charles II and were on their way to Paris and Claude went right along with them. And it's crazy how back then, when you were like 13, you were basically just doing your own thing. You were an adult. His parents were just like, see you later. Anyway. Duval got a job working for the Cavaliers in the Saint-Germain district as a footman, basically running errands for these Englishmen, and he would make deliveries to the cook shop and the gaming house and to the apartment of lonely wives of busy noblemen, all while committing petty crimes in his spare time. So Claude was getting all this, shall we say, life experience. He was young, handsome, and the women loved him. So basically, he spent three years in Paris learning how to be awesome. Then, in 1660, a most unforeseen event happened. Oliver Cromwell, the leader of the Commonwealth of the Three Kingdoms, died of malarian fever. And this guy was such a hardcore Protestant that he died because he refused to take the cure for malarian fever because a Catholic priest invented it. But apparently, Cromwell wasn't a great guy anyway, and had turned into a bit of a tyrant himself and treated the Irish Catholics like complete dirt. So when he died in 1660, England welcomed Charles II back with open arms, reignited the monarchy, and it turned into a massive party, and all the royalists went back to England, and Duval went right along with them and partied it up. And nothing sums this up better than a line from the Newgate Calendar, which was a monthly bulletin of all the executions for the month posted by the warden of Newgate Prison. The calendar also had sensationalized biographies of past criminals, similar to the Pulp Fiction dime novels of the Old West. Anyway, the calendar said, quote, The universal joy upon the return of the royal family made the whole nation almost mad. Everyone ran into extravagances, and DeVale, whose inclinations were as vicious as any man's, soon became an extraordinary proficient in gaming, whoring, drunkenness, and all manner of debauchery, end quote. And all this is happening while working for a man named Charles Stewart, the third Duke of Richmond. So here is this handsome 17-year-old man who basically was groomed by aristocrats for the last three years, who was good at math, therefore good at gambling, just let loose in the streets of London with a French accent. Like, unstoppable. 
and everything is great until 1667 when Duval left the employment of the Duke of Richmond under mm. cloudy circumstances. As the story goes, Duval got a little too close to the Duchess of Richmond, and the Duke found out. But after Claude got kicked out of the Duke's house, he continued to live in this life of debauchery. Unfortunately, this lifestyle wreaks havoc on your wallet. And before long, Claude had racked up some serious debt and needed a way to make money. So he returned to a life of crime. And before you know it, Claude was operating as a highwayman. And a highwayman is exactly what you may think. A bandit typically on horseback who waits on the side of the road to rob passing stagecoaches and other poor bastards. He started out in Holloway, between Highgate and Islington, on the main road out of London to the north, which was a heavily traveled road by nobles with plenty of money to spare. But Duval wasn't your typical highwayman. He notoriously hated violence and would use his intimidating band of henchmen to, let's say, encourage the rich nobles that traveled the road to hand over their valuables without anyone getting killed. However, seven years in the company of English nobles while majoring and sleeping with women had turned him into a sophisticated playboy dripping with charisma. So it wasn't long before word got around town and there were whispers amongst noble women at parties and church and weddings and whatnot of this debonair, well-mannered highwayman who would rob lords all while lavishing their ladies with compliments of how beautiful they were using such banger lines as, quote, those eyes of yours, madame, have undone me. I am captivated with that pretty good-natured smile. One robbery was so smooth that it inspired an 1860 painting by William Powell Frith, simply titled Claude de Vale. I'll put this painting on the Facebook page. What happened was, Claude and his band of merry men, or jovial gentlemen, which was the custom of bandits at the time, approached a knight's stagecoach with the intention of robbing it of everything it was worth. The lady of the coach, in her panic, took out her flageolet and began to play a tune. And a flageolet is a type of thipple flute, which is a subcategory of woodwind instrument, very similar to a recorder. But unlike the recorder, which has six holes on the top and one hole on the bottom, a flageolet has four holes on the top and two holes on the bottom. This layout makes the flageolet more difficult to play, but also allows for a wider range of keys. Anyway, playing the flageolet was evidently this lady's coping mechanism when she's about to get robbed, and it worked. Claude, being the smooth operator that he was, pulled a Ron Burgundy and just happened to have his own flageolet in his pocket and pulled it out, and the two of them had themselves a little jam session. Then Deval approached the stagecoach, and according to Charles Johnson's book, The Lives and Actions of the Most Noted Highwaymen, Duval said to the knight, Sir, your lady performs excellently, and I make no doubt she dances well. Will you step out of the coach and let us have the honor to dance a courant with her upon the heath? And the knight said, I dare not deny anything, sir. To a gentleman of your quality and good behavior, you seem a man of generosity, and your request is perfectly reasonable. I mean, when you're being held up by a bunch of 17th century street thugs, what else can you say? So Duval leapt down from his horse, took the lady's hand, and helped her down from the coach, all gentleman-like, while someone continued to play the flageolet. Apparently, everyone just knows how to play instruments back then. I guess when you don't have TV, social media, and video games to distract you, learning how to play an instrument is a no-brainer. 
But once they started dancing, witnesses were amazed at how graceful he danced. And according to Charles Johnson, quote, it was surprising to see how graceful he moved upon the grass. Scarcely a dancing master in London, but would have been proud to have shown such agility in a pair of pumps as DeVale evinced in a pair of French riding boots. DeVale is like the dude from the Dos Equis commercials, just awesome at everything. And once the dance was over, Claude let the young lady back to her stagecoach, helped her back in, and as the knight was stepping into the coach, Duval stopped him and said, Sir, you forgot to pay the music. To which the knight said he never forgot such things, and reached under a seat and took out a bag with 100 pounds in it and gave it to Duval. Duval replied, Sir, you are liberal and shall have no cause to regret your generosity. This 100 pounds given so handsomely is better than 10 times the sum taken by force. Your noble behavior has excused you the other 300 pounds which you have with you. How badass is that? Like, I know you have more money, you're not fooling me, but I'll allow you to keep it because I'm awesome. And this is so smooth because the lady must have felt pretty good after that because what she saw was a man who considered a dance with her worth 300 pounds. That's over 57,000 pounds today. That's a lot of money to leave on the table for just a dance. I'm sure she's blushing and fanning herself and saying things like, oh, my stars, or whatever else they say back in England in the 1660s. And these events don't have any date assigned to them. So nobody knows what order they happened in, if they did at all. I mean, Charles Johnson certainly likes to take his liberties in his writing. But you know me, I choose to believe. In another highway robbery, Duval and his group of sophisticated thugs came across a stagecoach filled with women who didn't think it necessary to travel with protection. Well, Duval and his men certainly made them rethink that decision. One of Duval's men went up to the coach and started roughly taking all the jewelry from the women and even took the teething ring from a little baby girl that they had with them. And the baby immediately started crying. And needless to say, the ladies were all up in arms demanding that the ruffian give the teething ring back. Like, what kind of monster are you? Well, DeVale walked up to find out what the commotion was, and the women told him what happened, and DeVale immediately threatened to shoot his comrade if he didn't give the teething ring back, saying, quote, Sirrah, can't you behave like a gentleman and raise a contribution without stripping people? But perhaps you had on occasion for the sucking bottle yourself, for by your actions, one would imagine you were hardly weaned. That's a 17th century burn if I've ever heard one. And as you can imagine, the man gave the teething ring back, but only the teething ring. I mean, they are animals, but they're still bandits. But the robbery that really put him in the crosshairs of the authorities was when one day in Windsor, him and his band of scoundrels came across the Squire Roper, who was in charge of the royal buckhounds of Charles II. The Squire was hunting in the dense forest when he was ambushed by DeVale, who demanded his money or he would take his life. The squire immediately gave up his pouch of money containing 50 guineas, and a guinea was a coin minted in Great Britain between 1663 and 1814, made out of approximately one quarter of an ounce of gold worth about one pound each, and was mined from the Guinea coast of Africa, which gave it its name. After DeVal took the money, he tied the squire to a tree by his neck and his heels, according to Charles Johnson. He then tied the squire's horse to the tree and took off. Finally, after a considerable amount of time went by, the other huntsmen found him, released him, and he raced back to Windsor to report what happened. Once he got back into town, he ran into his friend Stephen Fox, who asked him how the hunt went by asking him if he had any sport. Roper was understandably pissed and said, Sport? 
Yes, sir, I've had sport enough from a villain who made me pay full dear for it. He bound me neck and heels contrary to my desire, and then took fifty guineas from me to pay for his labor, which I had much rather he had omitted. What an eloquent way to say you were just robbed and humiliated by a mugger. Well, this occurrence fully put him on the map, and the heat started coming down on him hard. He was no longer just robbing nobles, now he was robbing the king's property. So, at this point, it was time for him to head back to his home country of France, where he continued his lavish lifestyle of drinking, gambling, and sleeping with women, and all the while bragging about his exploits in England. But soon he found his money starting to run out and decided to return to England to continue his life as a highwayman, but pulled one particularly clever caper on his way out of town. He visited a very well-regarded, rich, and greedy Jesuit confessor of the French king. And when the Jesuit answered the door, Devale fed him this line about how he had traveled far and wide, acquiring knowledge that he would like to share with people for the benefit of the country. And if a man as powerful as he would be willing to invest in his services, he would be very honored. So the Jesuit is like, what knowledge? So Devale dives into his sales pitch and says, Sir, I have spent most of my time in the study of alchemy or the transmutation of metals and have profited so much at Rome and Venice from the great men learned in that science that I can change several metals into gold by the help of a philosophical powder which I can prepare very speedily. The Jesuit confessor, blinded by greed, was ecstatic about this news and said that this would be great for the whole country considering the financial state the kingdom was in. But he wasn't so blinded by greed that he would just take DeVale's word for it. He needed to see a demonstration and gave DeVale the necessary money to prepare a laboratory. Once everything was set up, DeVale began to work his magic with the Jesuit eagerly waiting. And I'm just going to go ahead and quote Charles Johnson because I don't think that I could put it into better words myself. DeVale took several metals and minerals of the basest sort and put them in a crucible, his reverence viewing every one as he put them in. Our alchemist had prepared a hollow tube into which he conveyed several sprigs of real gold. With this seeming stick, he stirred the operation, which, with its heat, melted the gold and the tube at the same time, so that it sank imperceptibly into the vessel. When the excessive fire had consumed all of the different materials which he had put in, the gold remained pure to the quantity of an ounce and a half. This the Jesuit ordered to be examined, and ascertained that it was actually pure gold, he became devoted to DeVale, and, blinded with the prospect of future advantage, credited everything our impostor said, furnishing him with whatever he demanded in hopes of being made master of this extraordinary secret. So the Jesuit fell for it hook, line, and sinker, and showed DeVale all of his riches in hope that it would incentivize DeVale to complete his work faster. Needless to say, one night while the Jesuit was sleeping, DeVale snuck into the chamber of riches and stole as much treasure as he could carry and left France and went back to England. However, going back to England along with the assistance of alcohol would prove fatal for our playboy highwayman. One night, while drinking at the Hall in the Wall Tavern in London, someone most likely a husband of a woman he had slept with reported to the authorities that he was there. By the time the king's guard got to the tavern, DeVale was fall down drunk and could do nothing to defend himself despite being armed with three pistols, a sword, and an assortment of knives. 
DeVale was then thrown in Newgate Prison, the same prison that published the calendar I mentioned earlier. And while there, he was visited by a ton of distraught women who begged for their hero to be released. Their efforts were so convincing that they almost convinced King Charles to let him go, but the judge, Judge William Morton, was not having any of that and threatened to resign if the king ordered his release. So that was the end of that, and on January 17, 1670, Claude DeVale was found guilty of six robberies that they could prove and was sentenced to death. Claude DeVale, the son of poor parents in Normandy, who had been raised to the height of society and became the quintessential gentleman's bandit, was hanged by his neck until he was dead at the Tyburn Gallows in London, near where the Marble Arch is today. He is reported to have died bravely to the sounds of crying women. Then, once he was dead, according to NormandyThenAndNow.com, his friends cut him down and carried him to the Tangier Tavern, where a wake was held that was so well attended that the king had to order the crowd to disperse. But his close friends stayed with him, and when they were undressing him to prepare him for burial, one of his friends found a piece of paper in his pocket with a speech he had planned to read at the gallows. It was focused on his lady supporters, thanking them for sticking with him till the end. According to the Newgate calendar, it read, I should be very ungrateful to you, fair English ladies, should I not acknowledge the obligations you have laid me under. I could not have hoped that a person of my birth, nation, education, and conditions could have had charms enough to captivate you all. Though the contrary has appeared, by your firm attachment to my interest, which you had not abandoned even in my last distress, you have visited me in prison and even accompanied me to an ignominious death. From the experience of your former loves, I am confident that many among you would be glad to receive me to your arms, even from the gallows. DeVale was given a funeral at St. Paul's Church at Covent Garden in London and was laid to rest in the chancel which is an area around the altar reserved for the clergy, and had a large marble stone laid over his tomb that had the following epitaph. Here lies De Vale. Reader, if male thou art, look to thy purse, if female, to thy heart. Much havoc he has made of both. For all, men he made to stand, and women he made to fall. The second conqueror of the Norman race, knights to his arm did yield, and ladies to his face. Old Tyburn's glory, England's illustrious thief, DeVale the lady's joy, DeVale the lady's grief. So that's it. That's the story of Claude DeVale. And uh, I love those types of stories. It's sad that he died in the end. I mean, he was a bandit, so um, you can't do all that kind of stuff without uh, reaping what you sow. But uh, I I love the stories of the bandits that are charismatic and are kind of lovable and uh, just kind of robbing people and not trying to hurt anyone. Uh, so, uh, you know, we're trying to cover them all here. And some of them are jerks and some of them are great. Uh, and uh, it's just the way it is. So, uh, uh, but next week we're, uh, we're going to stick with our pattern and we're going to go back to a pirate. And uh, I don't know which one it is. You know me. I'm just kind of like, whatever. I'm, I'm, uh, right after this is finished, I'll probably just start um, looking around and seeing. I got a couple ideas for some of the uh, some pirates that I want to put on the show, but you know, there's a million of them, so they're all gonna get put on here sooner or later. So stay tuned. So we will reconvene next week. But until then, I hope you have a great week, and I will talk to you later. <laughs> <laughs>